Jonah for a number of months. I think we have two more messages today and next Wednesday. Again, we're in Jonah chapter number four. So if you find Psalms as the middle of the Bible, if you just keep going, you'll get to Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, and so Jonah, Jonah chapter number four. I know that most of you have been here all these weeks since you understand that Jonah was a prophet, Jonah was a preacher, Jonah was from Galilee, that's northern Palestine. Jonah chapter one, God came to him and said, I want you to go preach to Nineveh. Nineveh would have been north, northeast, so he was supposed to go there. He didn't want to do that. The Bible says that he went down to the port of Mediterranean Sea, he caught the very first ship. It looks like it was a cargo ship, not a passenger ship, and he went as quickly as he could. God didn't let him get away with that. God sent to whale his direction to swallow him. That's chapter 1. All of Jonah chapter 2, Jonah's in that whale. And he begins to realize some stupid things that he's made. Began to realize you can't run from God. God can see where you're at. God can see down in your heart. It looks like by the end of chapter 2, Jonah's got right. So by the end of chapter 2, the Lord tells that whale to spit him out in dry ground. Jonah 3. Again, God says, Jonah, I want you to go to preach to Nineveh when we find him doing what God said do. In our amazement, the entire city gets right, all the way from the king of the throne down to the poorest. Uh, in, they all get their hearts right. It looks like that uh, Jonah ought to be rejoicing. That's chapter 3. Because they changed, God changed his plan to destroy them. And that's good news, folks. You say, well, I, Pastor, I think God's against me. Well, you can change, and then God will change. We would think that Jonah should be rejoicing. Uh, there is anywhere between a half a million to a million people in Nineveh. And God used one man and one message to bring that. We would think that when we open up chapter number four, Jonah's buttons would be popping with pride. And yet look there in Jonah chapter four and verse one. But it pleased, uh, sorry, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. Well, <laughs> what's he angry about? He thought that God was going to destroy the Ninevites. And God changed his mind. And, and Jonah didn't want God to change his mind. He, Jonah was mad at God. I, I preached last week on evidence when someone's not right with God. You know when someone's not right with God, the very first evidence, evidence is they're angry. Ever met somebody that's just angry about everything? You can say it's a beautiful day, not really. <laughs> Isn't God good? Not to me. Boy, it sure is a wonderful... No, it's not. There's some folks that are constantly angry. That's a sign things aren't quite right. We saw they have a low appraisal of life. They give higher attention to the temporal. And they eagerly anticipate disaster. Pastor, what are we looking at today? Well, I'm going to read the opening words of verse 6. Jonah chapter 4, verse 6, opening words of verse 7, and the opening words of verse 8, then we'll have a word of prayer. So look there in Jonah 4, verse 6, if you'd follow as I read. The Bible says, and the Lord God prepared a gourd. That's uh, like a, a squash, a pumpkin, something like that. 
God prepared a gourd. Look there in verse 7. But God prepared a worm. And then one more time, verse number 8, and it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind. Kind of seems like God's always preparing something. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for the book of Jonah. Lord, we're sure thankful for how you used a man whose heart wasn't right to get an entire city and a large city at that for them to get right. So, Lord, you can use any vessel. You can use any person, whether they're saved or not, whether their heart is right with God or not. So we're thankful for this city that got right. But Lord, you wrote this for us to be able to peer into the heart of somebody who is actually doing the work of God, but their heart wasn't right while they did it. And, and Lord, in your grace, you fix something up to fix their wagon. And Lord, that's what we're going to look at tonight. Help us to see that God is always preparing something for us, either to encourage us, maybe to turn us around, maybe to convict our hearts, maybe to help us to take steps forward in our Christian life. Lord, I pray we take these things to heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we notice there in verse 6 that God's preparing something. In verse 7, God's preparing something else. In verse 8, God is preparing something else. Uh, could I suggest to you that as much you as you and I know that God sent those things Jonah's way, I didn't, don't think that Jonah realized that God sent those things. Do you know, sometimes God does a work in our life because God knows that's what we need. But for some reason, we don't see God in what's happening. If right now you seem to be in an unusual way, way blessed, do you see that God's done that? If in your life right now it seems that there's one trouble after another, do you see that it's God that's in that right now? So I'd like to preach for a few minutes on, but can you see God in it? That's my title, but can you see God in it? Again, whatever is happening, it's not just bad luck. It's not a fluke. And I think that uh, God was trying to help Jonah, but uh, Jonah didn't give God the credit for it. So, and, and we already saw that back in chapter 1, when Jonah decided he wasn't going to go to Nineveh. We know that he got aboard that ship and God sent a wind. He probably looked at that wind and figured there's always wind on the sea for sure. Never considered it's God that did that. I think that when he was tossed overboard and the whale swallowed him, I, I, I don't imagine he thought that God did that. Certainly not at the moment it happened. Sometimes we don't understand, but God promised, certainly in the New Testament, that when you and I trusted Christ as our Savior, he was going to do everything in our life to conform us to the image of Christ. So wherever I'm lacking, and I'm sure there's many places, but wherever I'm lacking on being like Christ, God is going to go to heaven's kitchen, if you could say it that way. 
he's going to go to Heaven's Kitchen and he's going to whip something up that Carlson needs to put him back on track, get the right thing done. It might be a good thing. It might be a bad thing. And I wonder how seldom that we ever see that God is in those things. Again, all that's found in verse uh, 6a and 7a and 8a. But before we could get to those three verses, I just want to point out verse 5. So look there, if you would, in Jonah 4, verse 5. The Bible says, and of course, Jonah's angry. He's angry that God's having mercy on this entire city. He's angry at God. So verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city. That means that his anger was evidenced, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, when Jonah is still in the city. So Jonah is still in Nineveh after all those people have gotten right with God. And Jonah's anger in verse 1, 2, 3, 4, he is angry while still with all these new converts in the city. Don't you think they saw that? Folks, when, when you're angry, when I'm angry, everybody sees that. So, again, it says there, so he went out of the city. So that tells us that his anger was no doubt being observed by other people. It says he went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. Well, why would that be so significant? If you understand that Jerusalem, that's down here, that's in Canaan, Jerusalem is here and Nineveh is here. He has gone to the east side of Nineveh. Now, if you looked at it on a map, this city stands between he and Jerusalem. Now, this is going to sound like something trite, but Jerusalem was the, uh, was the city of God. It was where the house of God was. Jerusalem was the favored place. Jerusalem, if you would, was the will of God. And I know that God called Jonah to go there, but when Jonah didn't get his way, he went out on the east side of that city. That city obstructed his clear vision of the holy city. Folks, when anything gets between you and me and God and God's will, that's never a good sign. So he, knowing that he's not right with God, has now put another hurdle in his way by on the east side of the city. Keep going in verse 5. It says, and there made him a booth. Now, we would say a shelter. Uh, an overhang that wasn't slapped together in a moment of time he built that so while he was out there on the east of the city he could sit and he could relax and he could be comfortable while he walked see the 40 days isn't done yet he doesn't yet know whether God is going to destroy that city or not so he builds this booth, and uh, he's planning to stay out there for a while. And by building that booth, he doesn't expect God's going to answer his prayer. In verse, in verse 3, his prayer was, God, take my life. If I thought God was going to take my life today, I wouldn't be building anything. So you know what? He's really a, a pathetic picture of somebody that's still upset with God. 
and he's doing everything but what he could do. You say, well, preacher, what else could he do? He could go right back into that seat. Listen, all these people we would say in New Testament terminology, all these people just turned to God, all these people just got saved. He could now, listen, he could build the biggest Baptist church in that part of the world. He could be, he could claim to have the fastest growing church in that part of the world. And he'd be the pastor of it. He has just been used of God to, to see that many get saved. You say, well, preacher, what else could he do but go outside? He could go right back in the city. He could disciple those people. He could train those people. He, they, they have no understanding of Jehovah. This man is not interested in doing what God wants to accomplish. He's only interested in himself. That's why he builds this booth. It's going to make him more comfortable. Folks, we, we've, we've got to get out of ourselves and recognize that there is a great world that we still need to minister to. So he builds this booth. Keep reading there in Jonah 4 and verse 5. It says, and he sat under it in the shadows. So again, he's just looking for some protection. I'm sure he has told the Lord, I'm done, I'm through. Then the very last part of verse 5, till he might see what would become of the city. That's how we know the 40 days isn't done yet. And, and I just, I, I, I get the idea that he's just got his arms crossed and he's got a long face and a poochy lip. And God, now you said 40 days, God. Now he's going to try to use God's word against God. Have you ever known someone like that? They try to use the Bible to hurt the work of God? God, you said. And uh, if you've never come across somebody like that, I, I've known preachers, I've known pastors, I've known evangelists and missionaries that are mad at God. They are mad that God didn't do what they thought God should do. God, I've told, listen, he, he's just told everybody in 40 days God's going to destroy it. If at the end of 40 days God doesn't destroy it, Jonah says, well, what are people going to think about me, God? It, it said over there in Deuteronomy 18, if a prophet predicts something and what he predicts doesn't come to pass, he's a false prophet. I said, Jonah, what are these people going to think of me? Here, I've traveled all this way and told them in 40 days it's going to be destroyed. God, what are they going to think of me? Jonah, they're going to think God used you to turn an entire city back to God. But folks, when we're mad at God, we're not looking at what God gains by that. We're looking at what people think of us. So I think Jonah just right there decided, I quit. I'm done. I mean, listen, God, no one's going to invite me to preach behind their pulpit anymore. <laughs> what I say is not true. I'm quitting. And that's what we see again. Look there at the end of verse number five. It says there, till he might see what would become of the city. You know, if we had any hopes by the end of Jonah 3 that he was thoroughly right with God, all those hopes are dashed by Jonah 4 and verse 5. And again, I suppose that he probably quit. And he's not the only one. All of us, I, maybe, maybe you're the exception, but all of us know Christians that got mad at God 
because God didn't do what they thought God would do. I remember when I was uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. So that's a little way back. That's almost 50 years ago. I went to a church in St. Catharines, Ontario. It was called Bethel Baptist Church. And you know, when our family drove up to the parking lot of that church, when we walked into the doors to enter that church, there was a man, his name is Don Elguire. Don Elguire, hair was kind of thinning on top. I'm going to guess he was 45 at the time. Don Elguire had a smile from ear to ear. Don Elguire made everybody that walked into that church feel welcome. I mean, I kid you not, it didn't matter if you were 50 or 30 or 11. He would shake your hand just like we hope our doorkeepers shake people's hands. And he would smile and he'd say, I am so glad that you're here. And you know what? We believed it. We believed the way he said it. He was the superintendent of our Sunday school. And so uh, he loved his ministry. He loved his job. He loved doing what he's doing, and he loved people. Well, again, I was in that church for a number of years, and our family moved from that General Baptist Church to an independent Baptist church in Niagara Falls, the next city over, and eventually a new man came to pastor a church in St. Catharines, Ontario. So that's still in the same city that I had gone to church when I was 11, but, you know, now I'm, what, 16, 17, 18 and my pastor and I, we were door knocking. And we were getting closer and closer to where I knew that Don Alguire lived. All the doors that we had knocked on to that point had not been friendly doors. But as we walked up the driveway of this door, I said, Preacher, you're going to like this visit. This is Don Alguire. And unless he's moved in the last couple of years, this is a Christian man who loves the Lord. It won't matter that we are trying to establish another Baptist church. He'll be happy that we're in the service of God. He said, well, great, I'm looking forward to it. And sure enough, Don Alguire comes to Now, he looked a little rougher, and I thought, well, this was his no-shave day. Not a big problem, that's fine. And, uh, and my pastor introduced himself Don Alguire was about to slam the door. And I kind of butted in front of my pastor, and I said, Mr. Alguire, don't you remember me? And he, if he was a dog, he would have made a great barking dog, because he barked back, and he said, no, who are you? And I said, when I was 11 and 12 and 13 and 14, and we attended that church, you were the man at the door that greeted us. And he said, then come on in. <laughs> well, now we're a little nervous about that. And folks, there were some things, I would call them aluminum cans, that shouldn't be in the home of a Christian on his coffee table. There were some other magazines that shouldn't be on a Christian's coffee table. And I, in a two-second scan, realized, this is not the same Don Alguire as I knew years ago. And you know, in the next few minutes, he began to relate how his health had turned bad, 
and how quickly that church replaced him with someone else. Although he said he could still do the ministry, they didn't think that he could, and they replaced him, and he got mad at God. I said, Mr. Alguire, do you still at least go to church? No. I said, do you go to any church? No. That's where Jonah is at. Jonah is mad that God didn't do what God said he was going to do. And so what does God do? Because God still loves Jonah. Now, you know what most of us would say? Good riddance. <laughs> but God's not like that. And so again, we're going to look at this quickly. You see, your preliminary's got to be longer than your message, we hope. Uh, look there in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 6. And so we're going to ask this question, but can you see God in it? First of all, Jonah 4 verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a gourd, uh, keep reading there, and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. Could I say, have you considered God is in your comforts? Would you write that down if you take notes? Do you know when things are not going well for you, our God, who's a gracious God, it's just like Him to send a blessing your way, my way, when we don't even deserve it. So the first thing God does is He causes this gourd to grow. Now, I'm not of the garden type. I don't know how long, once you plant a seed for gourds, that it would take. I'm sure it takes more than a night. God was a blessing to a man whose heart wasn't right at that time. Again, you and I would say, well, good riddance. Just forget him. But not God. Now, Jonah could have consoled himself while he sat in that booth. I guess I must be right, because after all, God sent a gourd. The gourd didn't prove that Jonah was right. The gourd proved that God is gracious. So when things aren't going too well, and you just have a blessing that's unexpected in your life, have you considered that God's in that? Do you see God behind that comfort? Are God's like a mother when she finds her child is sick with a fever, holds that child in her arms until it falls asleep? Ten times in the book of Psalms we read about the tender mercies of God. Now, you don't want to let that gourd become your God. God sent that gourd to redirect your attention to God. And who'd ever have thought that big Jonah with a big ministry and now had big grief would get comforted by a little gourd? And yet it said at the end of verse number six, so Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. God will do a dozen little things just to be a blessing. It's a good God. Have you considered God is the one that binds that? Real quickly, look there in verse number 7. Verse number 7. Uh, not only did God prepare a gourd, and that was a comfort, but verse number 7. 
But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and smote the gourd that it withered. Well, everybody would be happy about the gourd. Nobody would be happy about the worm. Because the gourd brought Jonah temporary comfort, but all that he focused on was the gourd and not the God who sent the gourd, God went back to the kitchen. And now God whips up something that's little, so small that maybe Jonah didn't even see it till it caused its trouble. Look again at verse 7. But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. And so the second thing, we first said, have you considered God as in your comforts? Second thing, would you consider, uh, have you considered that God is in your catastrophes? Sometimes it's not good things that come our way. Sometimes it's catastrophes that some come our way. Hold on, God was the one that sent both of those. So you say, preacher, I, I just got four flats on my car, and I found that my spare has a flat too. Well, that sounds like a catastrophe. Have you considered that God maybe is trying to get your attention? Have you considered that maybe God is trying to do something? If you consider, well, again, it said that he was exceeding glad about the gourd, but it was about the gourd he was glad. It wasn't about God that he was glad. How many a stable person has been wiped out by a little thing? Do you know there are a little fluctuation in the stock market and some people just lose their cool? Do you know that uh, little red spots that appear on the cheek of a child, how unsettling those little spots can be? And you know uh, uh, somebody feels a lump on their body that they never felt before. And immediately their mind races to the horrible things do you know, God, uh, not only is God behind the little things, God is behind the unseen things. I don't think that Jonah could see this. He could see the results of it. All I'm saying to you, secondly, uh, have you considered that God is in your catastrophes? See, Pastor, I just don't know why these things are, maybe God's trying to do something. And uh, although we would say Jonah had it coming, when it comes to the life of Job... We wouldn't say Job has it coming. So secondly, have you considered God in your catastrophes? God is in little things. God is in unseen things. God is in nasty things. People have strange ideas that their lives ought to be worm-free. Well, that's just not realistic. All of us deal with problems. All of us deal with difficulties. I give you the last thing. There in Jonah 4 and verse 8. So God first sent to Gord, that was good news. But Jonah didn't realize God was in the good news. Secondly, God sent a worm. And I think Jonah lost sight of the fact that God was just as much in the worm as he was in the gourd. Verse number 8, and it came to pass when the sun did rise, that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted, and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Could I say third, if he consider that God is in your continual crunch? See, Pastor, it wasn't just one thing, it's many. It's just one after the other. Uh, do you know that uh, when Job first lost his oxen and his ass, 
you probably thought, Lord, I, I can't handle this. It was only followed by losing his sheep and then losing his camels and then his seven sons and daughters and then his own physical well-being and then his wife made fun and mocked and then his three friends who were supposed to comfort didn't. That is a continual crunch. But God was in it. And so again, I, I asked this question, whatever you might be facing, do you see God in all that? And again, God does all that to just get us back on track. I give you the last thing. Look at Jonah 4, verse 9. Now, before we read it, you that know the story of Jonah, by the end of the book of Jonah, does Jonah ever totally get right? No, he never does. Question number two. Do you believe that God knew that Jonah would never get right? Do you think God knew that, or did that surprise God? Well, God knew it. We know by reading the book that Jonah never did get right, certainly not by the end of this book. We know that God knew that Jonah would not get right. Then why do we read verse 9 and 10? Look at verse 9. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a day. And should not I spare Nineveh that... What's God doing in verse 9, 10, 11? He's not given up on Jonah. Even though God knew that Jonah wouldn't change, even though God knew that by the end of this book, Jonah would be as much out of the will of God as he was in chapter 1, verse 3. God didn't give up. That is a good God. Could I say last thing, last question? Have you considered that God is in your corner? You say, preacher, I've just made some bad choices. I've said some bad things. I've been bad to good people. Pastor, I, I, I just guess God's given up on me. It's a good God that never gives up on people. And verse 9 and 10 and 11, God is still trying to turn Jonah around. What a great God. What a great God. Wherever you're at, it's not too late. You don't have to give up. You know, God has great plans. You're going to still have to do it God's way. You still can't run your own way. You know, there was a great pastor. I, I heard this just a week ago. That there was a great pastor many, many years ago. If I mentioned his name, most would know. And he was involved in a tragic car accident. He was driving down a road at night and another vehicle driven by a drunk driver pulled into the path of this pastor. And for whatever reason, this pastor, after this head-on collision, this pastor got out of that vehicle almost unscraped. But that drunk man died. That pastor was so overwhelmed that he was, the, the police said, it's not your fault. This man pulled into your lane. But that pastor was so overwhelmed that somebody died in his presence 
that he actually considered quitting the ministry. He was so overwhelmed about this tragedy that he actually considered not only quitting the ministry, but quitting church. And he was telling his wife that that's what he was, and it didn't matter what she said. He said, no, I, I think I need to do that. I can no longer stand in front of people and give them spiritual guidance with this on my record. And as he sat in his home, sat in his living room on his chair, there was a knock at the door. And his wife went to the door, she opened the door, there was a stranger that was there, and that stranger said, I'm a pastor. He introduced his name. He said, I'm from a different county. And he said, I've heard about the accident that your husband's been in. He said, would you allow me to talk to your husband for just a few minutes? Well, she went and asked her husband, is it okay? And her husband said, sure. And so she let this strange visiting pastor in. And he stood just a few feet away from this great preacher. And he just looked at him. <laughs> Finally, this preacher in this chair looks up and he said, aren't you going to say anything? And this visiting preacher puts his hand out. And he said, could I just shake your hand? Now this preacher is befuddled. Why would he want to shake the hand of a pastor that got in an accident and a drunk man was killed? And he said, before I shake your hand, why would you even want to shake my hand? He said, God must have known that you had a faith that would carry you through this indescribable situation and that you had enough faith in God that you would not let this turn you from serving the God that's called you into the ministry. He said, I had to look at a man who God had that much confidence in that he let you to be in this accident instead of let a dozen, dozen other preachers. And this preacher in this chair said, I guess I've never thought about it that way. And he shook hands. That visiting preacher said, don't quit. God still has great plans. And with that, he walked out of that door. That preacher never saw that pastor ever again. If it seems that a difficulty has come your way, he said, Preacher, I have a hard time thanking God for that. And then it's multiplied by another one. And then another one. You might consider the fact that God had enough confidence in your faith that he knew you wouldn't quit. So you say, Preacher, this is the fourth thing in a row. Have you considered God's in it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great truth. God never gives up on his people. God always has something that he can fix in heaven's kitchen to help us to get back on track. And Lord, we regret that uh, Jonah's heart wasn't right with God even by the end of the book. We rejoice that God could even use somebody in that condition to accomplish the salvation of an entire city. 
Lord, help our lives, each of us, not to end like Jonah's life at the end of Jonah. Lord, I pray that whatever you allow to come our way, that we would stand strong, stand true, that we would be open listening to God. God, help us to finish this Christian race that you'd called us to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.